gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to the Dr. Hedberg Show. This is Dr. Hedberg. It's been a while since we've done a recording, but I'm excited to be jumping back in. And in this episode, I'll be talking about uh, Yersinia enterocolitica. This is a common infection connected with Hashimoto's disease, as well as Graves' disease. Uh, but it is one of the most common infections I see in my patients with Hashimoto's disease, and that is backed up by a number of papers that have been out since the 1970s. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump right in and help you understand what Yersinia really is and and how we test for it and how we treat it. So again, it's basically a bacteria. And you get it from contaminated food or water, uh, usually raw or undercooked meat, uh, chitlins, which is uh, pork intestines, a common uh, cuisine in the South. I can't say I've had the pleasure of ever eating chitlins, but uh, chitlins can be a a common source of Yersinia if it's not cooked enough. Uh, But really, any kind of pork that is undercooked um, undercooked meat of any kind is a potential a carrier. And then you can get it human to human infection. So if someone has it or they're handling food that has Yersinia on it and they don't thoroughly wash their hands uh, preparing the food, then you can get it that way. And then you can also get Yersinia from a blood transfusion. So about over 100,000 people get this every year. It's actually mostly kids in the winter. And uh, I'll just give you a list of all the animals that carry Yersinia. Uh, Cats, dogs, birds, deer, rodents, rabbits, sheep, cattle, and horses. So you can see cats and dogs, you know, those are common domesticated pets. And so you could also get it from them. Uh, So that's something to be aware of as well. So the way that you know you have it, uh, you can't always tell just by the symptoms. Uh, It usually feels like you have food poisoning. So you might have diarrhea, watery or bloody stool, stomach pain, vomiting. You might have fever. Usually lasts about a week, sometimes up to three weeks. And so those those are the main symptoms. Now, one thing that can happen is people will confuse this with appendicitis because Yersinia can cause abdominal pain on the right side where the appendix is. So sometimes that's confusing. And then you can also get a rash when you get infected. It's like red or purple and it's there for anywhere from two to 20 days after the infection. And you mainly see it on your legs or around your abdomen, Uh, but it usually goes away, you know, within about a month. Another thing that can happen is you can get joint pain. It's called reactive arthritis, and that can last anywhere from one to six months. 
that pain, that joint pain can be triggered by your cinea. And your cinea can become life-threatening if your immune system is significantly compromised. And it can spread from the gut into the liver, into the spleen, and into the bloodstream. And so that's something to be aware of, that it could be be life-threatening. And another note about this particular bacteria is that it really likes iron. So if you're struggling with very low iron levels, uh, I have a podcast about ferritin. And uh, ferritin is a, it's a blood test that we do on everyone. And it tells us how much iron is actually stored in the body. And this is one of the most overlooked aspects of iron and uh, also thyroid disease. Because uh, your thyroid just won't function well if your ferritin levels are very low. So if your ferritin levels are already low and you have a Yersinia infection, it could be difficult to get your ferritin levels, your iron stores, back up to normal. Because this bacteria in the gut is is feeding on a lot of the iron that you're eating. So the best test for Yersinia, conventional medicine is mainly going to do a stool test. And this may only be positive after about two weeks of infection because it can take two weeks uh, for the infection to actually show up in the stool. So that's one thing to be aware of. And then you can also do blood testing, and we do that through LabCorp. And uh, they check IgG, IgA, and IgM antibodies, all three. And the... IgM antibodies, that tells us if the infection has happened within the last one to three months. Uh, if it's not present, then we know it's it's at least longer than three months old. And then the IgG, if that's the only one that's positive, then we know that it's not active, and it, and it means that you used to have Yersinia. And then the IgA tells us if it's active in the intestinal barrier, in the mucous membranes there. And so if we see the IgG and the IgA positive, then we know it's a chronic ongoing infection in the gut. And we do uh, also do a, a stool analysis to look for it as well. And so if you do those two, that's a pretty good, uh, you have a pretty good shot at getting a positive Yersinia and finding if you have it. Now, one thing to note about the blood test is that Yersinia can, it's called uh, cross-reactivity, so it can cross-react with viruses or bacteria. And the one bacteria that it can cross-react with is Borrelia burgdorferi, and Borrelia is the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. So if you get a positive Yersinia blood test, uh, it could actually be Lyme disease, or it could be a virus like the Epstein-Barr virus. And so if you if we use an effective treatment for Yersinia and then we retest the blood and it's not present, or I'm sorry, if it shows that it's still active after we treat it, uh, then it's probably not Yersinia. It's probably Lyme disease or, or another virus uh, like Epstein-Barr, like I said. Now, if it shows up in the stool, then you know for sure it's Yersinia, but the blood test can be a little bit more ambiguous. However, the stool test will miss a lot of the infections because unless if the Yersinia is deeply ingrained in the mucous membrane of the gut, 
uh, it might just not be coming out on the stool, and so you won't see it, and that's the advantage of the blood test. So usually Yersinia is treated with antibiotics, but we all know what antibiotics can do to your gut flora, and they create more drug-resistant bacteria. And uh, sometimes there's yeast overgrowth after antibiotics, so they create a, a lot of problems. Now, if we get a positive in the stool test, the lab will run a sensitivity, which means that it will expose the Yersinia to a variety of herbal medicines, and it will see in the dish if it kills off the Yersinia colonies. So the lab that I use, uh, they will test uh, Yersinia against berberine, which I've written about. Uh, berberine is an extract from a few different herbs like golden seal and um, Oregon grape root, barberry, Chinese coptis. Also, black walnut is effective for Yersinia, caprylic acid. So caprylic acids found in coconut and coconut oil. And then I also use a product called Loric Select, which is monolaurin. I've done a, a podcast with Dr. Moss, Dr. Jeff Moss, about monolaurin and how effective it is for viruses and bacteria and yeast. Oil of oregano, also effective for Yersinia, uva ursi, grapefruit seed extract, and silver, so like colloidal silver or silver silin, which is what I like, uh, can also be effective for Yersinia. So all of those can potentially work very well, but again, the lab will run the sensitivity and it'll tell you uh, which one of those is effective. So you can't just take all of those or, uh, I mean, you could, but it would probably make you sick taking all of those. Um, but if you just tried one or two of those, it might not actually work because we, we don't know without the sensitivity. If we don't have a positive stool test and a sensitivity and all we have is the blood test, then I use a, a combination herbal product that's very, very effective for Yersinia, and it does contain um, some of the compounds that I mentioned above, as well as a lot of additional compounds that work quite well for Yersinia. So we'll treat it for about four weeks and then retest, and it should be gone after about a month of treatment. So this is, uh, Yersinia is connected with Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease, through uh, um, something called molecular mimicry. And molecular mimicry basically means that your immune system, it sees the infection and it says, well, this infection looks just like thyroid tissue, so I have to make antibodies against both. And so as long as the infection's there, the immune system's making antibodies against the infection, but also against, say, thyroid tissue. So in all autoimmune diseases, the body's attacking some tissue in the body, and that can be driven by an infection through this molecular mimicry process. So you always want to be sure that if you have Hashimoto's disease or Graves' disease, that you get tested for Yersinia enterocolitica. And again, that, would, that should be in the stool and the blood. And uh, I've got... There, there are a bunch of studies that that show this connection. I have a link on the blog post for this podcast 
uh, linking to one of them, but but there's a bunch more. Now, we usually get great results with Hashimoto's if, if a patient has Yersinia and we get rid of the Yersinia, then uh, we'll see a, a big drop in the thyroid antibody levels. And that's good because that means less destruction, less inflammation of the thyroid gland. And so we can spare it for a long period of time. And so either, you know, you won't need medication long term or you might uh, be able to reduce your dose. And so there's a lot of positives there regarding the immune system and the antibodies and the long-term health of, of the thyroid gland. So that's something you definitely want to ask your doctor to check in the stool and the blood and uh, get treated for it if, if you do have Hashimoto's or Graves' disease for that matter. Okay, so I uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please share on your social media channels like Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever social media channels you use. Um, Also, it really helps to leave reviews for these podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to these podcasts. That's very helpful as well in getting the word out. All right, this is Dr. Hedberg. Thanks for tuning in. And I will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode. 